Go ahead and grab your outline. Let's dive into this today as we talk about uh, greater things. We're talking about getting out of the box, and that means to think differently than the way we've been thinking. To see things in a different way. To get out of the box is to uh, have this unconforming pattern where we don't just go along with the crowd. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we need to get out of the box and see our world in a different way. Um, just to show you the blind spots that we have, I don't know if you saw this this week, uh, Nouveau Magazine here in Indianapolis published uh, a paper here, and their title is Too Many Churches. And it's kind of a sad story about how traditional churches, historic churches, are closing uh, in the city of Indianapolis. And to quote the article, while there is a proliferation of these rock and roll churches. So I just thought I would address that because talk about an example uh, to get out of the box. Let me give you some real data because the people who wrote this totally missed the mark. Let me show you something on the screen. Take a look at this. If you add up all the people who are going to church in Indianapolis. I'm not talking about the people who actually attend, but the people who are on the rolls of churches all over our city. I mean, check this out. If you look at all the evangelical Protestants, go ahead and put this up on the screen. All the evangelical Protestants, all of the African-American churches, all of the mainline churches. I think we have that graphic, right? I hope so. I want people to see this. There it is. Look at this. Evangelical Protestants. Look at all of those folks. And those aren't all the people that come to church. It's just the people on the, the list. You guys don't come every single week. I know that. So, you know, that's just all of the African-American churches, the Protestant churches, all the Orthodox, Greek Orthodox and all that. And then all the Catholics, you know, they don't all go to church every Sunday. And that's, there's like 100,000 in Marion County. And then there's other. That includes Hindu and uh, Buddhist and Mormon and everything else, Universalists half a million people not even on the roll, unclaimed. So here's all of the religious organizations claiming people as part of their constituency, and yet there's over a half a million people in the city of Indianapolis totally without God. And probably more than that when you consider that not every church is being faithful to the commission of Jesus or even calls the name of Jesus. So you gotta get out of the box about you know, too many churches. Let me tell you something, there, wasn't even, there wouldn't even be enough room if God were to move in our city. You talk about a blind spot because what's really going on is, is a failure to be relevant to the needs of people. That tradition and the old way of thinking got in the way and systems and structures became so hardened, people couldn't get out of the box and simply just meet the needs of people. Because I can tell you this, when you're meeting the needs of hurting people, you have to bar the doors to keep people from coming. So we've got to open our eyes and get out of the box. At the very same time, the Gallup organization has released a new poll that says that out of the 65 million unclaimed, unchurched people in our nation, 34 million of those people would actually come to church if a friend invited them. That's incredible. That means every other person, if they just had somebody that they trusted that would invite them to come, they would actually come to church. Does that surprise you? In the same poll, it talked about teenagers, what they want to talk about the most. 
Think about all the stuff a teenager wants to talk about, or maybe what all the conversations would be, uh, dating, music, um, sex, drugs, um, movies, their friends. Of all the topics that a teenager would talk about, the number one discussion they would like to have with a trusted friend is a discussion about spirituality, according to the very same poll. Is that surprising? It doesn't surprise me at all, because here's what I know. People are hurting today. Teenagers are hurting, and singles are hurting, and families are hurting, and children are hurting, and so many people in our city and around this nation are anxious, and they're scared, and they're nervous about what's happening in the world, and they have problems in their life they don't know how to deal with. And sure, they may have heard about Jesus sometime in their life. In fact, most of the people on that list of unclaimed are probably raised with some modicum of faith at some point in their life, but something happened. A hurt took place. A violation occurred. Um, a divorce happened, a sickness came in, they got discouraged, they made some poor life choices and then felt guilty and ashamed and felt they could never find their way back. They wandered off and they went astray and they feel like they don't belong. And Jesus talked about what it would be like for a person who causes one of his little ones to fall away. He's very strong about it. He says that person, for them it would be better if they were never born. But the converse is also true that if you restore someone who's fallen, if you go after and help someone who's hurting, if you reach out to a person who's lost their way and you help them get back on course, when you do that for someone who is lost, there is nothing more pleasing to God. When you take interest in a person who's hurting or reach out to the discouraged or care for someone who is lost and you bring back one of God's children who's gone astray, there is nothing that God won't do for you or for your children. I think about this as a father. If you help me and you do something for me, I'll be grateful. I'll do my best to pay you back. I'll do my best to, to thank you and to appreciate you. But you reach out to one of my children in their time of need. You help them when they're discouraged. My child goes astray, but you're the person that God uses to bring them back to the faith. I want to tell you, I will never forget that. It's at a whole nother level. When you affect one of my children, I'm going to be so grateful for the rest of my life. I'll be your friend for life. There's nothing I wouldn't do. And that's the same way your heavenly father looks at you when you have the heart to take care of one of his children who has gone astray. And Jesus told the story of a good shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered away. And the good shepherd decided that he was gonna go after the one. And even though the 99 were healthy and well and happy and secure, his eyes were on the one that had wandered away. And what that tells me is that even though we're all here today and we should be excited about all of us, we're glad, I'm glad that you're here. And, and yet at the same time, I see the empty chair next to you. And I wonder who's not here. And I wonder who's wandered away and who's missing and who's discouraged, who, who got bogged down by life and who went away and who is not here yet. The scripture is very clear that God's heart is always towards the one who's far away. And if you want to know God's purpose for your life, you say, well, what does God want me to do? You, you keep talking about the greater things God wants me to do. The greatest thing that you could ever do with your life is to help someone who is hurting find God. Because that's the heart of God. God's heart is always towards the hurting. Jesus said this to his followers. He says, go everywhere, go out into your community, go out into the world, and tell everyone about me. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, tell everyone in the world the good news about me. 
And then in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses everywhere. Witnesses of what? Well, of the good news. Of the good news. We've got good news to tell everybody. It's not, we've got good news that God is merciful, that he is forgiving, that he's faithful, that he is a friend. We don't need to tell anybody uh, that God is a judge. Nobody, listen, here's the thing, everybody. We don't have to, we don't have to be the judge in somebody's life because nobody's interested in that. You know, the scripture says we are witnesses. And you just think about every courtroom scene you've ever seen. We're not supposed to be the judge and scare the hell out of people. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to be the prosecutor who accuses and convicts and condemns people. We're not even supposed to be the defender of the faith, which so many people try to do and prove to everybody that, you know, this and that in the Bible and then, you know, convince that my way is better than your way. None of that is what God asks us to do. He calls you and I just to be a witness of the goodness of God. Let me tell you what God has done in my life and the good things he's done. And if he's done it for me, he can do it for you too. And the Bible says, uh, or, or the, the, that, that poll says, that Gallup poll uh, says that 34 million people, one out of every two people would be ready to respond if they just had a trusted friend who showed them that they cared. Now, I want to show you a verse that's in, the, in your notes, and if you haven't seen this yet, but look at this. This is all through the Bible, scriptures like this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. We're his representatives. We're his agent. We're the people that God is going to show himself through to this world. There's no other way. So you want to know what God's will is for your life? There it is. We're, to, we're supposed to represent him. We're his ambassadors. We're his, we're his incarnation. And God's already at work in people's lives. And he's positioned you with a circle of influence, some friends, some people that you see every day, a little congregation of people. They may not know each other, but you're the person in the center of that circle. And God's already at work in their life. And God wants those people to see and to feel and to know him through you. The message of Christmas is that God didn't just send a message. He always lets people experience him personally when he comes. God came personally, came in flesh and blood. And the message of Christmas is that God didn't stay at a distance and just send writing. He actually came as a person. And that's the message of Christmas. And that's what God expects for you and for me is that we would actually be that person that could feel and other people could feel and see and hear God through us. And that's about as deep as it gets. That God came to earth as a savior to save hurting people. That's as deep as it gets. There's nothing more important I can teach you, really. A person who's drowning does not need to know the Greek word for life jacket. I'm telling you. He just needs somebody to throw it to him. You know, there's, it's as deep as it gets that there are, there's a whole city of people that are drowning, and they're lost, and they're hurting, and they're turned off, and they're hurt and too busy and resisting. But if they had just one friend who would care enough to come alongside and show them the way. Now, I want to show you something that... When you understand the process of how it works, it's so much more easier. I want to get you out of the box because when you think of this idea of telling the good news to people, I wonder what comes into your mind. <laughs> Who do you picture? Somebody in a white suit with a loud voice and some slick back hair? Do you picture some evangelist preaching to people? I would think that the person who had the most influence in your life spiritually looked more like a friend, somebody who 
was patient with you and someone who just loved on you and cared for you and modeled for you what it looked like and you were intrigued and you started to follow on your own. Let me show you what the process looks like. In the scripture, uh, Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul says, my work was just to plant a seed in your heart. That's all I did. And then this other guy named Apollos, he came along and he watered it. But it was God who made it grow. You don't have to make anything spiritual happen in somebody's life. It's God who does the work of spiritual growth in people. It's God who brings people along, but he gives you and I a role. He says, will you be my witness? Will you be a witness of the goodness of God, the good news of God? Will you plant a seed? Will you water it? I'll do the work. My coach and my pastor, Gary Romar, drew an illustration of this called a spiritual journey. We have some that we can give to you on your way out. It's, it's an example of a spiritual journey that looks like this. We'll give these to you on your way out just so you can see it, but it's on your screen. Take a look at the journey. There are people at different stages on their journey towards God. Some are resisting, they're not interested, and you take that continuum all the way to the other side, you have people who are making an impact, and they're reproducing, and they're, they're telling people about Jesus and making an impact in this world. I don't have time to spend on the whole spiritual journey today, but let me just talk about that first step, which is just the resisting person. Um, people who are resisting are doing so usually out of fear, or they're doing so out of hurt. Like, like I, you know... I can't trust a God who would let that happen. Or they saw a hypocrite or they saw somebody who did something that was totally wrong and they said, well, if that's what it's like, I don't want anything to do with it. And so a lot of people are held back by all they know and they need someone to be a witness of something different. So uh, one of my favorite things to do with resisting people is just to surprise them. I want to... Uh, not just preach to them, but I want to show them what a, a great Christian is like. I want them to have a great experience with a Christian. So I'm always looking for ways just to throw people off and surprise them, and it's way harder for me than it is for you, I promise, because I have this title, Pastor, behind my name. And so, for example, it's Christmas season, I get invited to these Christmas parties, so I go, and immediately when the host tells them, hey, this is my pastor, I mean, it's like the whole room freezes, right? All of a sudden, and people are hiding their drinks, and they're like, what are we, what are we talking about? And they stop talking, and they kind of, I'm the epitome of every bad religious experience they've ever had. So I go in there on purpose to throw everybody off, I'm going to be the life of the party and be super fun. So I get myself all psyched up, so Friday night we had this party. So I go running up to the house, the people are all inside. I can see the cars and I don't even knock on the door. I just run in. Hey everybody, let's have this party. And uh, this lady comes out and looks at me and all the people stop and who are you? And I said, well, I'm here for the party. Where's, you know, the host? And they said, she doesn't live here. That's next door. I just ran in the total wrong house. It was really embarrassing. My wife was like, why did you do that? I don't know. I'm just excited. I was so excited. They said, hey, if they don't have fun over there, you can come back. So, you know, it worked. But I want to throw people off and show people that a Christian is probably the most fun person to be at the party because that's what Jesus did, right? You gotta, you've got to throw, you just want to surprise people. You're not trying to preach to people. Just move them from resisting to, wow, I never saw a pastor like that before. I mean, we just want to move them along. Resisting people will say all kinds of crazy things to you, by the way. 
And they'll try to get you into arguments and debate you, and they've got issues because of what's happened to them. And you have to say, well, of course they do. I I understand that. If if I'd been in their shoes, maybe I'd feel the same way. So you don't take the bait, and you don't argue. You let them win arguments, but you just show love to people. Like, we've got this couple in our church, Vince and Manoli, and they they come to our 11 o'clock service. And they came to me one time, and they said, hey, we got this neighbor we invited to church. And he said right up front, whoa, well, I'm an atheist. And they went, okay, that's cool. And they didn't even blink. They just became his friend. They invited him over for dinner. They did stuff together in the neighborhood, mowed their lawns, kept having him over for barbecues. And the guy kept trying to bait them into arguments. And their answer was the same every time. I was so proud of him because, you know, he'd say something and they would say, you know what, you're like the smartest person we know. We, there's no way we can answer your arguments. We don't have your education, but here's something. We, we love you. And we're not going to stop being your friend, whether you believe differently than us, but we know what Jesus has done in our life. And we want to tell you about that, but, you know, um, we love you. Well, you know, six months later, this guy is saying to these people, you're not like anybody I've ever met because of their kindness and their generosity. And when he had trouble, guess who he calls? So you see, you've got to just ignore the arguments and quit trying to debate people and argue people and just be that friend to be a witness of what Jesus is like. And I know that sometimes it feels like you're, the ground is really hard, but that's why Paul says, you know, sometimes you plant a seed and sometimes you've got to irrigate and, and, and water and make sure the ground is soft enough for the seed to come in. It may take some time. I had a friend tell me last night that A guy called him up, hadn't spoken to him in 35 years since high school. And he's got this little, you see, you got to watch for this. Like, you always, what is God up to? Why is this person calling me after 35 years? So part of his brain is starting to pray. And the guy eventually reveals he has cancer. You see, here's what I know. I don't worry if a person can just move a little bit to that, from from resisting to to questioning, I know that God's going to take them the rest of the way because God is the one doing the work. We don't have to pull anybody because here's the thing I know, that life is hard and life will break all of us at some point. The only difference is is we have somebody who goes through the storm with us. I know somebody who can help me through my storm and that person doesn't. And so life will break a person and, you know, everything's broken in life. Marriages, families, health. And so this guy's health had broken and he's reaching out to the one guy 35 years later. A friend had a lot going on, but he says, hey, how'd you like to go fishing with me this weekend? And he took this guy he hadn't seen in 35 years fishing, and during the course of the conversation, he just loved on him and encouraged him and said, I'm so glad you called, and hey, why don't you come with me and my wife to the Christmas service at Heartland this weekend? You know what that guy did? He sent out an email to all of his friends and all of his cancer support group and says, your presence is required with me at the Heartland Christmas Eve services this Christmas. I'm amazed at what God can do simply when we take the time to care and to show somebody that we love them enough and be a witness of the goodness of God in our lives. You know, I found in the New York Times recently, because I know some of you have thought it's not any good, I've tried this, it doesn't work. Well, in the New York Times, they found a seed that was 32,000 years old. Seriously, I don't even know how they dated that, but they, that's what they say in the New York Times. And the seed was 32,000 years old, and it never grew anything. They thought it was dead, but when they got it in the right soil, and they got it in the right temperature, a flower bloomed that hadn't been seen in 32,000 years. 
All I'm saying is, is that it may seem like a lot of seeds going into the ground. It may take forever. There may be four, fourth time, the tenth time. But I want to tell you that God is the one that makes things grow. And at the right time and in the right moment, God has a way of bringing something that looked completely dead, bring it to life. You just can't give up. You just got to keep on planting seeds and watering. That's good news for some of you who have a child that's far away or a husband or some friend that you care about deeply and you're wondering if they'll ever awaken spiritually, if you will stop arguing and stop doing all that other stuff and simply sow seeds of kindness and love in their life and water the ground and move someone just from resisting to curiosity, great things are going to take place. And part of the process is one day they'll say, I don't even have all of my questions answered yet, but I'm ready. I've seen God in you enough to make me want to trust in him. Now, there's no other plan. This is the plan of God. This is how God reaches the world. There, he's not going to write in the sky. He's not going to do some sign to make people believe. Actually, he did that. He came in the person of Jesus Christ. He came in flesh. And then Jesus said, uh, the thing that you saw me do, you're going to do greater things. I'm going to go to the Father. My Holy Spirit is going to come to you. And when my spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You're going to show people what I'm like. And amazing things are going to take place. So here's the thing. If this is God's only plan and you call yourself a believer in Jesus and you want to follow him, when are you going to accept your role? When are you going to realize that the purpose of your life really isn't your career or just your family or just the people who are here? When do you realize that the heart of God is not for the 99 already there, but for the one that's missing? And when will you say, God, use me. God, use me. It's one of the greatest prayers you could ever pray. God, I accept the role you've given me. I'll be a witness for you. And see, that spiritual journey continues beyond just believing in Jesus. You grow and you start to serve. And ultimately, the goal is that you would be a lifelong witness for Christ everywhere that you go. When will you accept personal responsibility? Don't put it on the pastor or on the church, but when will you say, God, you've called me to be a witness? Imagine this Christmas. It could be just one invitation one little text that changes somebody's life. And you've never known the joy of sitting in a church and watching someone who you've prayed for and sown a seed in and watered and you watch them with a tear in their eye commit their life to Jesus Christ. At that moment you say, well, God, you used me. And it's the greatest joy you'll have ever known. Now, this is how God works in people's lives. Now, how, how can I help people move on their spiritual journey? What do you mean plant a seed? Let me give you really specifically what to do in the time we have left. Number one, just start praying for people. Like the first thing you gotta do is if, if God's doing the work, then you align your heart with God. Pray for him. And how do I know what God's will is? How do I know how to pray? Well, just pray scripture. I've pulled out four little verses that you can pray for people that you care about, your son, your daughter, your brother, your boss, somebody who's far from God, will you just start to pray for them and let God touch your heart? You could pray like this. Pray that the Father would open their eyes and draw them to Jesus. That's John uh, 6, 44. Or, or pray that, uh, as, uh, as, as in 2 Corinthians 4, it says that there is a spirit that's actually blinding the minds of those who don't believe. So you can pray, God, I pray that you'd uh, overcome the blindness that the enemy's trying to put in their life right now. 
You can pray that God will bring the right person into their life. They've seen enough hypocrites and they've seen enough bad Christians. So God, will you just bring the right person? They're not listening to me anymore. So God, put the right person. Put a cool Christian in their life. One of those people from Heartland Church. Uh, Pray for a revelation of who Jesus is. Ultimately, everybody knows Jesus died on the cross, but there's a moment when a person goes, oh, I, I was a total sinner. I am a sinner, and God loved me enough to forgive me, and that forgiveness cost something. Somebody died for me. Wow. And when that hits somebody, God reveals that to a person. So you can pray for that moment to happen. Pray that people's eyes will be open to the truth. The second thing that you can do to plant a seed is just show your love. You think witnessing is about having all the arguments or knowing up 40,000 Bible verses? It's just love people well. I mean, care for people, be kind to people. An encouraging text, uh, a handwritten note, just the right phone call at the right time. Noticing a need and a special gift to meet that need a little bit of your time. And you know, you've got people that are in your circle of influence. Let me be specific, your hairstylist, the receptionist that looks a little down today that works in your office, your coworker who hasn't been himself for a while, that barista that serves you coffee every single day but hasn't been there for the last three days. I mean, the, one of the most incredible ways you can show love is just let people know they were missed. I mean, could you get out of the box and figure out how do I get a message to that guy who served me coffee for the last two months, but he's not here today? Wouldn't it be great if he could go, hey, I missed you. I'm so glad that, uh, are you okay? Was there an accident? Are you, are you all right? You lose your job. I mean, when a person knows that they were missed and somebody noticed and remembered them, it's one of the most powerful things you can do because a person feels lost. And when you remember them, And when you notice they're missed, it's the first step to them believing that God remembers them and he hasn't forgotten them. So they have to see that in somebody first. So when you simply notice who's not here, and you can even think about it, who's not here that should be here? Who got discouraged and drifted away? And you remember them and you call them and you say, hey, we miss you. We need you. We love you. One of the most powerful things that you can do in somebody's life. Um, There are about 10 to 15 people right now that are in your proximity. I want you to think of them as your congregation and that you are the pastor of those people. You say, wait, I'm not a pastor. Well, you know, a pastor doesn't mean me up here on the stage talking to you. I'm, I'm speaking right now. But you know what a pastor is? Someone who just takes care of sheep. And a person who takes care of the sheep is someone who simply has the, the heart to say, we miss you and we need you and we love you. Are you okay? And I remember you. And you can do that for that little congregation of people that nobody else can minister but you. And that's when you just remember them. I mean, there was a man by the name of Mr. Kimball who just simply volunteered to teach junior high boys on a Sunday morning at his church in Boston. One day he noticed that one of the boys hadn't come for a little while. And he worried about him. He wondered, what's going on? After a few weeks, he didn't see this boy. He decided to go find him. Made his way one afternoon after work to the house of where this boy lived. And the mom says, I'm sorry, he's not here. He's working for his uncle across town at Horton Shoe Shop. So now he has to get on a train and go all the way across the city for another hour. He gets there, walks in the store, and the young boy is very surprised to see him. What are you doing here? It must be a coincidence. Maybe he needs some shoes. But Mr. Kimball said, 
Young man, I'm not here for shoes. I came here for you. I've missed you. We need you. And we love you. And the little boy said, the junior high boy, he says, uh, I didn't even know anybody knew my name at that church. I didn't figure anyone would miss me. I didn't think I mattered. And in a God moment of compassion that God put in Mr. Kimball's heart, a tear went down his eye and he says, young man, let me tell you, you are so important to God and to me. And we missed you and we love you and we need you. I came here to find out if there's something I can do for you because you are important and you matter. That little boy never missed another one of Mr. Kimball's classes. And his name, that little boy's name was D.L. Moody. And he grew up to touch the city of Chicago and the nation of America and had an impact around the world just because a volunteer, not a professional, but just someone who had the heart to care for his flock went and found that one that was missing. I want to challenge you with who is missing in your life? Who is not here that should be here? What is that empty chair next to you? Who's it for? We've got to bring good news to people. The scripture says this, don't be selfish. Or uh, just think of yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I, I'm busy, but I'm not too busy to care, you say. Have the same attitude that Jesus had, though he was God. He didn't have to do anything. Um, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave. He served. Or in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, here's another great one. I'm free. I mean, I can do whatever I want. I belong to nobody. But I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. That's a person who's figured out the purpose of life. I do this for the sake of the good news, the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. And the gospel is good news. Friends, don't try to go fix people. Don't try to go change them. Don't point out their vices. I mean, God knows all of yours, and he still loves you and accepts you into his family. You don't have to do that. We don't have to be the judge of anyone. God just simply calls us to go and care for people. Let God change the person's heart. Don't, you know, if you only will reach out to people who are like you or people that you like, you'll never change somebody for Christ. In fact, Jesus would go, and he would invite people to his table that everybody else rejected, the tax collectors like Matthew and and like Zacchaeus. So there are people right now that maybe no one would ever dream of inviting to their table for dinner, but you could do that. And it would make the difference for someone, and it would plant a seed. It would allow you one day to make an invitation and simply say, uh, would you come with me? You gotta experience the guilt-free zone, a place where you won't be judged or condemned. You can just come just the way that you are. See, this is what will happen. If you're kind to people, the third thing is you can tell your story. Because eventually people will say, why are you doing this for me? Nobody treats me like this. Why? If you love people well, suddenly there will be this moment. And at that moment, you just do this, what the scripture says. Always be ready uh, to give an account of the hope that you have. Give an answer to everyone for the hope that you have. But do it in a gentle and respectful way. I'm just asking you to be the one for someone. Be the one for someone. I want to ignite in you a passion to go after that, that person who's missing. So I'll close it like this. I have this, we have this little dog, a little long-haired brown dachshund dog, like a little tube, you know, furry tube with feet, little feet. 
This is the fattest, laziest dog. Her name's Penny. She sits on the couch all day, doesn't do much. We feed her. She lays there, you know. But when, if I open the door and I say, Penny, go get him, and there's this rabbit outside, this dog will come flying off of the couch like a little brown torpedo, little feet, and it thinks it can go 90 miles an hour, and she just goes running with great passion and energy. My neighbors know all about this. Isn't this true? And she'll go flying out the door. She never catches the rabbit because she's not fast enough, but she has the passion and she's got the energy to go out of that house and go after that one, you know, rabbit. But here's what I'm saying to you. I'm just saying I want to get you out of the box, get you out of your thing. I want you, I want you to have some great passion. You have a great mission from God. Heartland, go get them. Go get them. Get them. Come on. Go get them. Go reach out to every person. We got a great opportunity here at Christmas. And let's make a difference. And the scripture says, how will anyone ever know unless somebody tells them? I mean, everybody will believe, but somebody's got to tell them. Will you do that? So we're going to take the last few minutes of our service. I want to give you an opportunity to think about who that person is. On your program, you'll see some red sticky notes. In our service last night, some people already put some names on the wall. We want to pray for every person that's in your circle. Here's my dream. I dream that every person that's within the influence of Heartland, every person in your circle, all of our circles, what if every person this Christmas heard this? We miss you, we need you, we love you. We wanna pray that God will open people's hearts for that. So I want you to write the names down, fill every one of those cards that you received, find a way to do that, and then when you leave today, you just stick it to the wall and then we're going to pray all through the next few weeks for every person that you put up here. But let's just pray for just a moment. Let me just close this up as you get ready to do that. I want to pray especially for the person who came here today. And maybe you just moved a little bit on that spiritual journey. I don't know if you're one of those ones that was resistant or not. But I'm glad you're here today. We love you. We need you. God needs you. There's things you've, you've gone through that God needs. He wants to use you. And we love you very much. You say, Darren, you don't even know my name. Well, I don't, but God does. And he brought you here today to hear me say this to you. And if you'll just take the next step, you don't have to have all of your answers, all your doubts figured out. You can just suspend the doubts for a minute, but you know that God is real. It's the faith, it's, it's, faith comes when you're in the presence of God and he's here today and he's speaking to you. If you want to make that, make that decision to say, Jesus, I need you. Will you forgive me? come into my life today. I want to give you that opportunity. Lord, in this room are people who need to take the next step. The next step to believe and to trust you, to say, I'm ready, Lord. I know that I've messed up my life. I know I've made a lot of mistakes, but I'm asking you to forgive me. I want to believe that you can save me and restore me and redeem me. See, you don't have to be perfect to come to God. You just come just as you are and let him let him inside and let him change you from the inside out. And maybe some of you, you're at a different spot on your spiritual journey. You, you have believed, but you need to grow. And you need to commit that. Lord, I want to grow. I don't want to just be a baby Christian anymore. Or maybe you, you say, I wanna, Lord, I want to start using the gifts and the abilities you've given me to serve others. I want to make an impact. Maybe you could say yes to God today. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, take the next step now as we pray. Lord. We come to you, we need you, we're sorry for our resistance against you. You say, yes, God, that's me. 
I'm ready to follow you and take the next step. I believe that your son Jesus, who died on a cross and rose again, will give me the power to change. Yes, God, that's me. And now, Lord, fill our minds with people that we see every day, that we encounter, that's in our office, that we meet on the way to work, who serve us in some way or we serve them, family members. Bring them to mind. Bring those to mind that you're already working on that just need the invitation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.